All right, Carl, thank you for um, coming on and having a chat, first of all. Mm, nice to be here and uh, thanks for having me. No problem. Where have I caught you first, first of all, and um, what did I catch you in the middle of today? <laughs> I've just finished some meatballs, actually. Um, <laughs> they were really good ones. I actually made them myself at home. Um, I'm, I'm in the office, 175 Pitt Street, which is where we've been based for the past for the year or so. I've, I've, we've got an office up in at home in Potts Point, but I spent most of my time here now. Mm. Great. Um, I've been really looking forward to chatting to you, actually, to get into Meet Magic. So we'll do that. But mm. I wanted to take it back and start from the early years. Um, mm. Talk about where it all started. So you're from Nottingham. Um, you had a fairly tough upbringing, if you don't mind me posing um to you yeah totally for those that aren't familiar with 1980s nottingham what were the prospects like for um somebody coming out of where you're from at that that time pretty pretty slim i think i think they still are i think but you've got you've got phones and computers now so you've got more of a chance of starting a business and getting Getting, making making something of your life, but back then it was it was very grim. I mean, there was there was not a lot of opportunity, and, I, and part of the reason why I left was was because of that. It was people were dying and going to jail, and it, it was it, it was probably one percent away from me either going that way. Um, there was an incident that, that took place with me and my then four year old son, five four and a half year old son. He's now thirty two. Put that. That's how long ago it's been. Um, and that was just, it was just the, the wake up call to, to get out and go and otherwise you'll be dead or in jail. And that was just the way it was. It was that cycle of poverty. It was a cycle of struggle. Um, it was a cycle of having nothing and wanting what everybody else has got. It was just, just wasn't nice. Um, I left, I left school at 15, left home at 16. So, um, there was no money around. There was nothing. And you had to, you had to be. <laughs> This is funny. People often ask me how I become an entrepreneur. Let me tell you, this is how it this is how it started when I was a kid. When I was at 16, 17, we used to have the car thieves bring all the stolen cars up on the street. And when they'd run out, you'd run outside in that car and see what was left. You might get the stereo. You might get <laughs> get a pair of fishing waders or a reel or something. You sold that for food. That's how we grew up. And it was entrepreneurial, I think it was... It, it, it was spur of the moment stuff, and you you were hand to mouth. You, you didn't have anything. You know, when my son was born, when he was six months old, I mean, this is just to give you a, 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 an example. Um, I was 18, 19, his mum was 16. Um, we got this council house because when you have a baby, they've got to give you a house. And we had this council house in a really tough estate, and his mum and I broke up, and we, I had no money to feed him. The, the electricity had run out. And so we had to have electricity card, pay, pay a pound and he put an electricity card in, uh, ran out, didn't have any money. And so I had to feed my son. So I had no way of warming up a, a milk bottle. He's five, six months old. This is 1990, whatever it is. And um, I went upstairs, got some clothes out of my wardrobe, old clothes, went outside in the back garden, lit a fire, put a pan of water on top of that and put the bottle inside that and, and, and warmed the milk up. That was my stuff. That was my starting point. Um, and I don't think, no matter what happens to me right now, I can never go back to that. But I'll always remember where that, that's my foundation of, of having nothing. And, you know, I think that's, it served me well because I've, I'm not afraid of having nothing. 
because I've come from that. And so that's, I think, served me really well in taking risks and not and just having a go and keeping Meat Magic going when, when all else was falling around. And so, yeah, it's a bit of a long way of, bit, that bit of a long way of saying it. Yeah, just a bit of a long way of going around stuff, but that was, that was the beginning. Yeah, wow. I read that you realized quite early on that unless you took some action to change those circumstances, you might not have a future at all. And, and it sounds like, or it seems like sales has been, you know, quite a crucial part of that future. Seemingly, why sales, first of all? Well, I mean, I, I don't have any skills. Um, I don't have any qualifications. I left school at 15, left, I never went to university. Um, and when I left home, when I, when I left the UK in 95, um, I, I went into New Zealand for six months and worked on a building site over there. In fact, if you go into Auckland, into that casino, I stuck every single one of those metal plates on the bottom of the doors, 10 bucks a pop. I was earning a thousand dollars a week back then. I, I've never earned money like that, not even in Nottingham. So I thought I'd swamp the channel <laughs> just by earning some money. And I was living in a tent in the back of a backpack as back then in 95 and I think I was paying $17. Um, a night for that and I was living like a king loving life just living free and then I came to Australia and I I didn't have any skills so you can't get a job when you don't have any skills so so I landed in landed in Melbourne on my birthday April 29th 1996 and I I had $60 I spent 40 of that on an overnight bus into Sydney and and I spent 17 of the last 20 in the Jolly Swagman backpackers in the cross woke up the next morning um, went downstairs and said, I'm looking for work. And there was a couple of gay guys there looking for someone to paint their walls. And I said, look, I'll come, but I'm not coming by myself. Anyway, so two of us went and then we <laughs> we, uh, we ended up painting these guys' walls and they, they fed us a Thai lunch, uh, Thai takeaway, and they gave us £80, um, £80, uh, sorry, $80 in, in salary. And they gave us a bag of weed eat. And I thought, ooh, that's, that's, that's a bit weird. So I took the bag of weed back the backpackers and sold it to some French bloke for $200 and that, that bought me an extra week in, in the backpackers, which I was really proud of. Um, and then I, I literally went to the city and I, I walked to the top of the highest building I could find. Um, and that was the MLC center. I think it was level 50, 51 or 52. And I, I, I went, walked straight up to reception and somebody said to me, what, what are you doing? What are you looking for? I said, I'm looking for the boss. And there's a six foot ginger haired lady there called Joan Salter. And she said, I'm the boss. She said, what do you want? I said, I'm looking for a job. She goes, what do you do? I said, I don't know, marketing. She goes, follow me. And she gave me a tour of the building. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And then she sat me down in her office overlooking the harbor. And I'm sat there staring at this view going, wow, look at that. And she goes, well, okay, I'm going to give you a million dollars in marketing budget. What are you going to do with it? I went, uh, spend it. I had no idea what she was talking about. But she gave me a, the name of a guy who um, – she said, go and meet this guy. So I called him, I called this guy up and I went and sat with him on the train station at Central. Uh, and we had a cigarette together back then. And he, he said, I've got a job for you, but you've got to turn up tomorrow morning, but it's in sales. And I went, okay, I'll do that. So I turned up to um, Surrey Hills and it was in Buckingham Street. I'll never forget it. It was a, a place called SGW Marketing. I think his name was Shane G. Ward or something like that. And he had the contract to sell cable television door to door. And Guess where my sales career started? Knocking on doors, selling cable television. I had no idea about sales or anything. Um, and I was, I, was, I was just literally just sat right now, uh, half an hour ago, with, with a, a group head of regulatory at Westpac. Her name's Emma Ringland. And I told her about my career in sales and how it started. 
And I said, they taught me this. And this is what happened when I walked into that, into that, into the room in the morning. There was like 20 people in there and they were all having a hoo-ha about how to motivate, motivation stuff. And they were, they were doing these, these, these sales principles. And I told Emma, I said, the first sales principle I learned was sex. And it, <laughs> she looked at me and she went, oh. I said, but it was smile, eye contact, and excitement. I said, those three principles are the first things you need to do when you knock on someone's door and they open the door. And so that was how I started my career, knocking on doors, selling cable television, and it all went uphill from there. <laughs> yeah, clearly, because obviously a humble start, you know, humble beginnings, but you went on to, you know, work for some great companies, big global account director type roles, you know, selling mm-hmm. to the, some of the largest companies in Australia. What happened between then and now to, I suppose, get you to that height of success in sales? What, why was it? How'd you get there? Look, I, I think again, it's just being a bit cheeky. I remember my when I first got on the when I first when I quit that um, sales role in um, um, with the door to door cable stuff. I actually wanted to go and get a proper sales job, and so I, I left the country, came back in '98, I think it was. Um, and I got a, I got a job on the phone. It's called calling with Macquarie Corporate. I think I was employee number twenty two, working with a guy called Patrick Newland, who was a, was a gun on the phone. He was the, the best salesperson you've ever seen. Um, anyway, so that was my my sort of breaking the ice of getting into the corporate world of sales. And, and then I left there and went and got a job. I think in the telco world with Richard Vincent, who's dead now, bless him. But he was he was the CEO of a company called World Exchange, and it was all telecom stuff and. I remember he said to me when I when I walked into that office on the first day, I said, Richard, what's the one thing I can do to, to, to make you believe that I can do this job? And he goes, okay, we've actually just lost a customer. It's called Snow Transport. They're down in Botany. He said, go and get it back. And bear in mind, 1998, there was no early mobile phones or internet or stuff back then. And, and so you had to literally walk down there and get in a taxi and go down there. So this little old backpacker type me, I, I, I get down to, to Botany and – Turn up to the front desk of a reception at Snow Software, and I said, "I'm here to see the boss." And she goes, "Who are you?" I said, "My boss has sent me, Richard." And she goes, "Hold on." And she walked out the back, and she came back with this guy. He goes, "Who are you?" I said, "My boss has said I've got to come and have a chat with you and try and get the business back." He goes, "Who are you?" I said, "World Exchange." I said, "We've, we've just lost your business." My boss says not to return until we back. And he, he laughed and pulled me inside. He goes. I said, what, what have we got to do? I said, I want to go back and tell him we've got your business back. I said, what do we have to do to win that? And he said, he said, you can meet this price and that price. So I'll sign and come back to you. I said, well, you put that on a, a napkin for me. And he did. And I walked back into that office and I went, I went to the boss, to Richard. I said, there you go. And we signed that contract. I think it was 20000 a month or something stupid. That was my the, the popping of my cherry, so to speak, in, in, in the real sales world. And then from there, it just went off. And I ended up um, working with, with the big ones like MCI Worldcom, um, Telstra International. I, I remember we did. I, I did some great stuff with Drew Counton um, over at Asia Global Crossing, and uh, we, we just had a great time selling. And I, I think sales is, is an amazing career for anybody. Um, you learn. There's so many different things you learn, whether, whether it's how to deal with people or how to handle objectives. It doesn't really matter. But you have an. Um, I think when you when you start to grow into the, into the big end of town, you start to be a bit more structured and disciplined about how you go. Go after your business, so you, you might have a strategic selling methodology that you, everyone's gone. Everyone's got those books, right? How to how to sell, but you you start to learn that you, you build relationships with people, and that was really what started to get me excited. Having those long term relationships, and I think everyone who's good at what they do have got 
quite a few relationships with people who they can just keep going back to over and over again. So you, you just keep getting more and more successful over time. I think some of my relationships I've still got um, come from 1990 and, I'm, and I've, I've still got them. Um, and that to me is, I think, a sign of just trust and, and, and doing the right thing. You mentioned sales methodologies and, it, and it, if you don't mind me saying it, it seems like the way you've been so successful at selling is perhaps selling yourself the authenticity. Um, has it changed from when you started to now when you talk about methodologies, the way you sell, or is it not as complicated as perhaps, you know, we feel it is sometimes? Is it more simple and you're really selling yourself and it's about relationships or when you're on that Telstra account, are you selling in a different way? I think things have changed a lot, right? I think B2B is definitely not what it used to be in terms of how we approach it. I think when, when, you know, when we were as junior salespeople in, in the account director roles, you know, you'd, you'd make a PowerPoint presentation and you'd go and sit with the exec and you'd, you'd run them through the PowerPoint. You don't have to do that anymore because they've all got the internet. They've all got, they'll know more about you before you've walked in the door than you probably know about yourself. And that, your job really is to go and build some trust. And that's where the, the whole magic thing kicks in because it's all about coming together and building trust and having a connection rather than rather than selling a product. Because no, nobody cares about your product anymore. It's, it's, it's more about you um, and the trust that you can instill in, in them. And that's, I think, that I've, I've always looked, looked, looked favorably upon rather than, rather than just a, a natural ability to sell. Because I think, I think sales used to be all about, you know, being strategic and, that strategic selling methodology of you know not building a one-legged stool strategy, for example, you've got to have multiple people that you're talking to inside a company. You know, if, if one person leaves, what are you going to do then? So that that was a, a good foundation, I think, for everybody. I think those, those I think they're getting lost a little bit um, as time goes on. It used to be a seller's market where you'd the sellers would have all of the power because they've got all the knowledge and the skills and, the, and, and everything else. Whereas now it's a buyer's first world. Where the buyers know everything about your product because they've got their peer groups to talk to. They, you know, if, if a CTO wants to go and invest a million dollars in some um, data analytics, they, they're going to go and talk to their friends first. They're going to go and talk to their peers. They're not going to go and talk to the vendors. And so the first port of call is them going to their vendors, say, going to their peers, saying, "Hey, have you heard about this company?" And they go, "Yes, I've used them, and they're good, and they're great." And th- that's where the relationship starts. So by the time a salesperson goes in there. There's, there's not a lot to do to sell. Your job is to build trust and, and, and engage um, and, build, and give them the confidence that you can look after them. They've probably got all your pricing already. They probably know what price points you know that they've got to be at. So it's um, I think the whole world of B two B has changed, but definitely it's, it's all about trust and, and building relationships. Now it's definitely not about product. How do you build trust if you're a Young rep on the way up, you know, you get thrown into a big account like you were in all those years ago. You, you know, you wouldn't want to win the account, but you'd have much experience. How, how do you show trust with a customer? Stop selling. I think, I think the first, we, we tell everyone, stop selling. It's, I think when you, when you, when you go in there and, and talk about your widgets and your, and your, your bells and whistles and your data lake and you talk, <laughs> you talk about your single pain as well. Oh, it lays over, and I think people don't people don't listen to that. I think what what used to really work in the in the olden days was you know if you got a meeting with a CIO, for example, you would spend a couple of hours, if not half a day, researching that CIO. You go through the annual report, you look at his salary, who his peers are, you look at the strategic objectives of the company. You, you'd understand everything there is to know. So when you walked into that meeting, you'd add value 
by saying, you know, I've actually done some research and understand what, what what's going on. Help me understand this. So you'd ask some important, you'd ask some good questions. And I think the importance of asking a good question, it determines how much of a good answer you get back. And if you walk in there and just pitch a product and do a demo, the execs just sitting there with his, with their arms folded and you, you learn nothing. So the old saying, two of these and one of these and using them in proportion, that's, I think, one of the skill sets that every young salesperson needs to learn. Ask great questions. And, you know, it, it might be you can have a bit of fun with it almost. I think you've I think you've actually got to go back to being a little bit cheeky these days um, because uh, people want that. They want a little bit of character. They don't want to be sold to and just have like some sort of robot turning up. It's there's nothing worse. So I think that I think the idea of, of of building trust is is to go and do your research first, understand who you're meeting with, and have some respect because then they, they've spent a lot of time getting to where they are and if you've got a c-suite meeting you know that's uh that's a pretty it's a pretty great opportunity for you to go and learn something so i i always tell, tell the sales people that are, that are with us and we've got about 70 vendors i think that are, are on our books um who, who we connect with for meetings and I, I always tell them you know to go in there with a, a curious mind and, and and don't if you go if, there's a thing about asking if you if you ask for money you, you might get some advice, but if you ask for some advice, you might get some money, and that that one mindset shift will help you change the way you approach the meeting. Because if you go in there curious and ask for some advice, it, it might be that you want to know, hey, you know what, this is this is the this is the problem that we solve. What would your opinion be on where I should approach market with this? Ask for some advice like that, and, and then you start a conversation going. But if you walk in there and it's, look, it's a bit like walking on a Tinder date. You, you don't go into a Tinder date and ask them to marry you on the first date. You go into a Tinder date and ask, hopefully you can get a return date and have another one. That's your objective with these meetings. You, you want to, you want to go, you want to be asked back on a second date. And I think to do that, you've got to um, do your research and understand where they're coming from. And they might have kids. They might have there's all sorts of things. I mean, the, the public internet now is you, you can find anything out about anybody. So you can do your research and respect the fact that you've got that meeting and, and use it really wisely by um, by asking for some advice. And that that is a, is a strategy that most charity fundraisers use, by the way, when they go into ask a, a, a high net worth individual for some money, they don't ask for money, they ask for advice. And that that often leads towards having a conversation about giving some money. But if you go in there and directly ask for, for money, you, you might get some advice, some advice. That's really interesting. So let's talk about your business, Meet Magic, and it's your third business that you've founded uh, after a 20-year yeah. selling career. Um, Cal, this one, a little bit different. So your company purpose is to make sure the world is in a better state tomorrow than it is today. And you've raised, um, correct me, at last, at last check, almost 1.5 million dollars for charity so far um what can you tell me about the journey you've been on to get to this point don't do it ever <laughs> um I, I think one of the <laughs> they, they, there's, just, there's all this glory and glamour around the startup world and i tell you what it is probably one of the hardest things i've ever done in my entire life to jump off a cliff and try and build an airplane before you land is is not easy and that's exactly what we've done because we're not funded we, we, we haven't got venture 
capital running around throwing cash at us. Um, this is all self-funded. So to create an idea, that's exactly what this was five years ago, just an, an idea um, based on the fact that I knew the sales world um, and the sales world, the B2B marketing thing is kind of broken. Um, I thought, well, let's solve that problem for the for the marketing teams first because they've got all the cash that they're spending and they're wasting all that money on conferences and roundtables and I call it snouts in the trough because it's just, just people eating and talking rubbish and drinking and get, getting fat, basically. Um, th- 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 there's got to be a better way to, to engage and make use of your funds. And so the whole Meet Magic journey has been um, from the beginning. The first, I, I think if I, if I look at the P&Ls, I can, I can tell you exactly what was, go- what was going on. The first year, there was no money. Um, but I think we did about $2,000 in revenue. That was 2017. Um, 2018, I ran out of money. On my birthday, I got a job again with an extra hop selling, selling cybersecurity. Um, I hated that for the whole of the year. Um, then I, I quit that in the following year in 2019, about March, and reinvigorated Meet Magic and tried to get it go, tried to get it going again. So I spent um, six months getting a, a, an agreement with the Starlight Children's Foundation in place, and then in November 2019 we launched it. And we had about I think by that time we'd given about twenty six thousand dollars to charity through the through these connections and through these meetings. Um, and then, and then we were going through bushfires and droughts and all this crazy stuff. I don't know if you were here then, but the skies were turning red, uh, the koalas were falling out of the, out of the trees, burning, and it was all sorts of crazy stuff. And then Armageddon almost. Um, and then, of course, we went into Christmas, the traditional slow period, and then we came out of Christmas and hit COVID, and it's like, whoa. And so all of a sudden, we've got this new campaign that was just launched and all this craziness going on. Um, and then I woke up one morning, and Richard Marr, who is the one of the directors or the, the GMs of Asia for a company called Auth Zero, big global tech company? He bought twenty meetings on my platform. I'm like, what's going on here? All of a sudden, I got twenty thousand dollars coming in my bank account through the Stripe account, and someone just booked twenty meetings. And I'm like, shit, this thing's starting to work. And so we had to go and deliver, and that's where it all started. We had to go and deliver on those meetings, get them in place. This is 2019. Oh, beg your pardon. This is 2020, um, around April time. Um, and so all of a sudden, these meetings started happening. Um, people, people obviously got locked down. They got couldn't go to conferences, couldn't go to restaurants, couldn't go to lunch, couldn't do this. So all of a sudden, people start knocking on my door for meetings. And so we start to get an opportunity to deliver a service and a product to someone. And that's what happened. And so we started delivering these meetings. And then one client told another client. And then somebody else told another client. And then all of a sudden, it started the flywheel started to happen. Then we got one vendor and two vendors and three vendors. Then we got four, then five, then ten. Then we needed a team, and then all of a sudden you need people to manage this and account managers, and you need all this stuff that you didn't know you needed. Now all of a sudden you need. Uh, and so the problems that you face with that is that you, you don't have any money to hire these people properly. So you bootstrap it and you find the cheapest people you can find. And so you know they're often young interns that you get and. So we did that process and you go through this process of, of hiring people who can help you get to a certain stage. And then once you hit that peak of complexity, as I call it, you know you've hit that peak because it becomes very frustrating and things just don't turn as fast as they should. And then, you know, you've got to bring in some extra talent to help it go to the next level. So we did that three times uh, over the past two years. Um, and so now we've got a team of full stack developers. We've got a CTO. We've got Rebecca and, and Vicky, who are our, our, our head of um, partnerships and, and development and customer experience. 
and we've got all, all these this this core team of people that are helping us now taking it to the next level. But the journey in itself was there's some stories in in amongst all that. I, I, you know, I, I'll share one with you because people just they won't get this. Um, 2019, I'd literally almost run. I'd run out of money. I'd come back to get the thing started again. Um, and just as, as we're going through the, the discussions with Starlight, um, we, we're just about to get to the end of, I think, 2019. And I got an eviction notice because I hadn't paid my rent for three months. And I'm not afraid of this or of sharing this because this is, this is the journey that, I, that you've asked, you're asking about the journey. This is the journey. Um, there's a girl I've met on that one of those dating apps called Bumble, and she was a, one of the heads of um, uh, one of the heads of uni- University of New South Wales. She was one of the professors there for medicine, and I had like three or four dates with her, going really well. Um, get this eviction notice, and I said, "Look, I I can't see you anymore. I'm I'm in a mess. I've got a I'm a single dad of a daughter. She's a teenager. I've got I've got I've got to sort my life out and." And get, I'm trying to get this business off the ground, and, and she paid thirteen thousand dollars rent and kept me alive. And I, I, I had some money coming in the door. It's just this, this cash flow problem that you start up to face. You got these, you know, you can see the money coming in, but it's not coming in yet because I've got sixty, ninety day terms and all this rubbish. And and so you're going through this journey of of, of trying to you're treading water. Well, it's like, actually you're not even treading water. You're swimming in treacle. It's really, it's really hard trying to keep your head above water. And that was, that was the beginning of of how it all started. And I, in the startup world, if you can get past three years of that, um, and, and it is, it's it, not easy. Um, you've got a chance of survival. Not not definite, but you've got a chance. And you know, here we are. After those two years that passed, we went from 2020 where we did about $26,000 to charity. Um, and then in 2022, at the end of 2022, we've given over a million dollars to charity and we've got about a thousand execs on board. So we've gone in that, that hockey stick period of two years. It's just gone up and up and up. And that's given us a chance to really de- delight the customers. Mm-hmm. And we've sit, and we've since had case studies, testimonials. I'd say hundreds of millions of dollars worth of pipeline that we've created. We've got case studies from Macquarie. Um, cloud of uh, the biggest deal that they've ever closed in their history of their existence through us. I think there's a $3 million deal closed last week with one of our other customers. Uh, and I know we've got a product that works because I look at the, I look at our customer retention and it's hundred percent almost. So if, you, if, if our clients have budget, they, they stick with us. Yeah. Wow. And so the, what I understand is the, the charity side of this. So your, your journey through adversity, success in sales you know finding a um a gap in the market a solution to fix a problem you know fairly consistent with other startups but the charity side of things where you're going through all this yourself you've been evicted but part of your solution is given to charity where where did where does charity is that something you've always had or is it something that came more recently in your life well uh, yeah look, i'm asking I'm right Robin Hood, Rob from the Rich, <laughs> the poor, you know, know. You know and, and we've also got a very famous man called Sir William Booth, who's the founder of the Salvation Army, who is a complete inspiration for me because he he took his business of helping vulnerable women to 50 countries without the internet. And so this is the guy that started charity for me in, in, in my world. And so 
it, it would have been probably six years ago, seven years ago or something like that. We, we were watching, my daughter and I were at home watching a TV show called Growing Up Poor. It's, it, it's, it's still available. It's on the ABC. It's a Four Corners program. You probably find it on YouTube still. It was a story of the suburb Claymore. Now, it, it's, it's, it's probably relevant right now because the, lab, the Labour government built this in 1975, I think it was. And obviously, obviously, uh, election time at the moment. Uh, they probably, probably won't want this out there, but I don't care. Um, they built, they built this suburb and they put the poorest of the poor in this suburb. So three generations later, you've got this cycle of poverty of, of people watching people struggle, basically. You've got kids watching their parents and their grandparents, drugs, alcohol problems, all, all the stuff. And so I watched this, this, this TV show with my daughter. I said, come on. We're going to get in the car. We were living in Darling Point at the time. I said, we're going to go out there and have a look. And sure enough, we got out there and we saw this suburb just like where I'm from. It was like windows, stuff all over the streets, people with their hoods up looking like they wanted to rob you. I felt right at home. It was like walking back into back into my, my neighborhood. Mm. And so we went to the school and we asked the school if there's something we can do to help inspire these kids because the retention of the school uh, – um, the, the, the people, kids going to school, the attendance was like really, really low. And I think to, I, I, I actually just saw this on the TV of the day. Um, the, the, the second highest suburb for crime in New South Wales is Claymore, still, which is for me is mind boggling. So you think about the reasons why crime exists is because people are struggling and they're poor. It's not because they, they, they want to do that, it's because they've got to find a way to, to survive. Mm. And so we brought 300 of these disadvantaged kids. Um, years, years one to six to Bondi for a day out to inspire them and I, I got the Bondi lifeguards on the beach giving some games We put, I raised a bit of cash through some, some good friends of mine Michael Hart shout out to him He's a, he was the old CIO of, um, of Commonwealth Bank he's now in the UK Craig Goodman from the Goodman family um, these, these kind of people gave me up to $5,000 to, to make this thing happen and then these 300 kids or so came to Bondi and we um, and it, a couple of the Wallabies give a pep talk. I told them my story and we gave them a book to write their goals and their dreams down in to say, look, if you just take one dream that you've got in your head, take it out of your head and put it in the book on your way home. Don't wait till you get home. Do it on the way home. And, and I'll guarantee you one of them, one of you is going to make that dream become real because you're going to look at it every single day and you're going to want to change your life and make a difference in your own life. And that was really the message that we wanted to get across to them that in order for you to get out of that circle, that circle of, of shit that's going on, you've really got to be brave because you don't trust people outside of that circle. That's why you don't get out. That's why it keeps you there. I know that because that's what happened to me. And it wasn't until I got up and left that I really realized that people do want you to succeed, but you, in your mind, tell yourself nobody cares. And so you don't do anything. So you stay there round and round in circles until other, whatever happens. And, and so that was the start of, of the whole charity thing. Channel 9 then introduced me to a small charity called Feel the Magic, which is where the magic name comes from, from, from Meet Magic. And James was a laborer on a building site, lost both of his parents, wanted to start a charity that helped people deal with grief when they've lost a parent or a loved one. And, he, and I said to him, look, I know some rich people, make me a head of fundraising and I'll find you some money. And so he did. And so I, I had a job at the time working with Aruba. So I was in sales still, mm. um, flogging, flogging wireless to all the told the whoever whoever would buy it in fact i think my last sale was um westfield shopping centers so if, if you go into the westfield shopping centers and log on to that wi-fi anywhere in the country don't do it i, I put it in there they'll, they'll know everything about you uh, anyway so um that was that was the starting point and then 
I got introduced to this thing called the Growth Project, which was um, an incubator program for, for small fledgling charities to help them grow, find the governance and, and stuff. Um, and I had to pay for myself to go on that course because Aruba refused to pay. Um, and so I paid my last $10,000 to get on the growth project. And Larry and all, everyone who's involved in that, from the Commonwealth Bank execs, Kelly Bayer Rosman funded it. Kelly's the CEO of Optus now. She was the head of number two at, at, at Commonwealth Bank at the time. She flicked half a million dollars to fund the growth project. And a lady called uh, Monica Saunders, who's the daughter of John Saunders, the founder of Westfield, she put a half a million in and they've, they funded this incubator to help charities scale up. And so I took James from Field the Magic onto this incubator and I mentored him. He meant we all, we all got mentored basically a bit of a professional development and whatever else. And, um, that was where Meet Magic started on the very first day of the very first growth project. Peter Baines was there. Peter Baines is a famous guy who's in the charity sector. Monica was there. Um, all the execs for there um I, I was talking to one yesterday actually about this whole thing and he remembers it clearly we all stood up at the end of the day and said who we are and what we're doing and i blurted out this thing called meet magic and that was it that was I, that was just the idea that came out of my head in in that room at that time to solve the problem which every one of those charities had which was to find a sustainable fundraising model and i thought at that time i thought okay i know all the money's over there in marketing I'm going to take that money. I'm going to give it to charity. And that was just the, the coming together of the meat magic. And so I, I kept the, ma I kept the magic name and I thought, well, I'm a door opener. Let's connect. You, you know, I, I walk up to walk up to receptions and ask for the boss. That's the door opener for me. I, I just do that. Just to be a bit bold and be a bit brave. And, and that was, that was how it all started. So, um, the charity side of it for me is, 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 is the, the whole purpose behind this thing i'm still broke i've still got no money um i don't have any assets i don't have any houses um i don't i don't want to own anything i've got clothes that are old um, I, I don't need all those things uh, but i've still given over one and a half million dollars away so far and i feel really proud of that i feel richer than i've ever done inside here than i ever could do if i owned a Maserati. i've got that ferrari feeling in my head i don't need the ferrari to drive around and feel good yeah. I've, already, I've got it every day as you could probably tell yeah that's amazing and, and it's also pretty rare for somebody to take a skill and passion um and it create a solution that's great as well isn't it so you've been um yeah it's been such a good link there what, what i was going to ask you is um you've obviously found your purpose and that's giving you the ferrari feeling um when we talk about the wealth perhaps wealthier people in Australia, charitable giving has gone down more recently. Um, in contrast to that, you know, there's a lot of reports coming out about the millennials and how they want to find purpose in their work. They don't just want to chase money anymore. What What's your take from speaking to people about um, giving every single day? What's your take on what the um, desire is to be doing more and finding some purpose in giving it to a charity? I've got a, I've got two sides of this. On the one side of it, my, my my brain says everyone everyone wants to be kind and purposeful and, and, and to do good. And on the other side, it's they've got an unconscious motivation of, of looking to do good and just looking as, as they just want to look to appear to be doing good. Yeah. And, and so I, as a result, you tend to see, I tend to, I tend to call people out a lot because giving is really easy. 
It really is. It, and it's free. You don't, you, you don't need anything to give a kind word to somebody. It's free. And so it's not all about giving money, but giving is really free and easy and anyone can do it. It's whether you choose to do it or not. And yeah, I, I think there's a, there's a whole lot going on in the space of, I think the people, the reason, the, the reason people don't feel happy at work, um, doing the things that they're doing, because they haven't found that, that, I'm not going to say motivation. I'm going to say inspiration because they're, they're very, they're two different things. Motivation is, is what you need. That's that's when you're going going to listen to Anthony Robbins and Deepak Chopra and all those other people that can rev you up. That's because you've not found really what gets you out of bed in the morning and locks you up. Because if you, if you found that, you wouldn't need that because you'd be inspired and it'd come from within. And you just get out of bed like I do at four o'clock in the morning and don't you, you can't sleep. It's, and I'm still five years later. I still struggle to. I, I've got a pen by my by my bed and I, I write stuff down in the middle of the night still and. Because this inspiration is there, because I found something that my heart is truly in, and that's that's hard to find, but it's easy to find if you if you go looking. Mm. And the way I did it was I got a piece of paper, lined down the middle, five things that I'm good at and five things that I really love. That was it. And you look at those, you write those five things down, and somewhere in amongst all that is your purpose. And if you can find, and it's so simple, honestly, I, I remember listening to this um, podcast with uh, John D. Martin. Everyone loves John D. Martin. I met him a couple of times. In fact, I've told him about his business, and this is this is pretty much where it started. He started it basically because it, it was in his book, Inspired Destiny, that I got that 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 idea to write those five things down. And so, of course, my five things were opening doors, talking, connecting people, blah blah blah. And on the other side of it, it was giving and, and helping kids. And, and so that's just what Meet Magic is today. And so it's, it's kind of hard to not have purpose when you found it. <laughs> and so you, you just got to keep going. And you always, you always tend to find a way to make it happen regardless. It, 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 I think one of the biggest things I've found is um, there's no fear. And that no fear doesn't come from just having a tough background. It comes from having the true belief that you are really doing the right thing for your life right now, and, and and I get that I get that sense all the time because it's yeah, it's almost like the universe could say, "Go on, then, I dare you," <laughs> and and you just do it. So it, it might be, for example, the universe might say to you, "I dare you to take that risk because it's in alignment with your business," and you take it, and it's almost like the universe is watching, going, "Yep, good job, well done." Here's another one, and so you keep going like that, and it's it's almost like a blind belief. It's like it's this true belief that you have of where you're going with your business, you, you actually feel it before you see it. Mm. So I, I, I feel this excitement about the fact that we've already got a million executives on this platform and we're doing 10,000 meetings a month and we're giving millions and millions of dollars every month. I feel what that feels like already. And it's almost like I don't need to believe it. I don't need to see it in order to believe it. I can feel what that feels like already. And it's, it's almost like I, I see it because of that. And so that's um that's been that's what's happened. That's how I've been living my life in the past five or six years with this with this thing. It's and, and I think everyone it, they've just got to have the, be brave enough to follow that that feeling. If you feel that it's right, there's a story that John Demartini tells. I'm waffling on a bit here, but he, he, talk, he tells a story about this woman that he met who couldn't find her purpose, and uh, he said, "Well, what do you love to do?" He said, "She said, well, I love to walk my dog." She got this look. This, little dog that's got bows all over its head and whatever. 
And he, he said, well, just walk your dog. He said, eventually you will find out what, what you love to do because you just keep doing what you love. And so she was walking a dog through Hyde Park and all of a sudden someone, some tourists stopped and said, you might have to take a picture of your dog because it's got bows and stuff all through her head. And so she said, sure. Anyway, the next day she thought, oh, I'll just put a sign up, $5. She had a line of people queuing up to pay $5 to take a picture of her dog with all these bows and stuff in her head. In that queue was a woman who makes TV commercials, dog, dog food commercials. And she said, do you mind if we bring your dog in for a, for a, a, a test or an interview or what, what do they call it? Um, a, tri- <laughs> a trial, like a trial thing for, yeah. a, for an actor's trial. And the dog got the job for the TV interview. So all of a sudden, the dog is now on TV doing dog interviews. And the dog performed so well, the dog automatically then went on to get its own TV show. And then this TV show followed, followed the dog's journey um, only, only in America, right? But this, 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 this dog then ended up buying a penthouse apartment in New York. It's like, what? But this is all a, sto- a true story. I think that you can find it somewhere on the internet, but it's, it's a true story of a, a woman that just followed her, her love of what she was doing, walking her right. dog. So I think the message for anyone, if you truly believe something and you want to do it, just, just follow that. Yeah, it resonates with a, a theme that's coming up on the podcast as I talk to people and it, and it is around that. I think you mentioned it. You don't need motivation if you've got drive. It's just about going and doing the work, just getting on with it and getting stuck in and it'll come as opposed to necessarily looking externally for something and chasing it and chasing and, ch- and chasing it when it's not necessarily going to come. Mm. Um, so it's really interesting. Um, <clears throat> what's next for um, Meet Magic? How, what's on what's on the radar? What do you expect the next year and the year after that could look like? Well, I think we've we've, we've got this platform that we've built now, so it's AI machine learning led. We're sort of live with it. We'll put it on Amazon on AWS. Sorry, Amazon. We're talking about it's on AWS, um, and it's it's basically this this brand new way for salespeople um, to connect with the market, and we're, we're, we're sort of flipping it on its head. So the problem that we're solving for marketers is that traditionally to get access to execs, it's slow, it's costly, and it's unpredictable. We're flipping that it on its head and making it quick, easy, and cheap, and fast. Um, we've done that through the, the, this, these algorithms that we've written in the platform. And it, when, when, a, when a salesperson joins us, um, they tell us what their interests are, who they want to meet with. A bit like Tinder for business. When an exec signs up, they tell us what kind of interests they've got, what kind of projects they've got, and we match the two together. So by the time those two conversations come through the platform, inside the platform, there's a scheduling for calendars and every, everything else. So we're eliminating all of that noise that's happening in the exec's diary because the exec's struggling with overwhelm. We've got all these outbound cadences and emails and invitations for this, that, and the other. Mm. It's just a whole lot of noise out there. So we're, we're, we're stripping all that out of the way for everybody and giving them a clear place to come and meet, meet with the market. So the execs, when they log into the platform, they will get to... Be, they'll be served with one-minute pitches of the vendors. So rather than the vendors having to pitch, they've just got to meet and connect because the, the execs already know about the, the, the project. Okay. But when the exec signs, um, sign, signs in and says, look, I've, I've got a cybersecurity project, we might serve them with three or four cybersecurity pitches, and then they can go, yes, that's that one, that one, and that one, and then they can have the meeting. And we've actually built video conferencing into the platform now as well so they can actually meet. So... It's a hole in one place for the execs to come, get matched, and it might be a project that they've got. It might be some education that they need on a, on a certain thing. Because let's be fair, the only reason they go to those conferences 
is either to speak on stage to look good or to meet their peers to learn about products. They don't ever go or very rarely go into the vendor room because they know that when they go into that vendor room and scan their badge, they're going to get spammed constantly from those 50 vendors in that room. It's just, it's nuts. It's, it's, it's the most ludicrous B2B marketing thing I've ever seen. It's, it's like something that's not changed for 50 years and everyone still, still does the same thing. They're all spending $250,000 on the Gartner conference to get scanned badges. And then they put those scanned badges in their outbound marketing campaign and hope to get a lead. It's like, what are you doing? It's broken. So we've solved all that problem by just giving you direct access to the execs to go and have a conversation. A conversation, not selling. But those conversations are turning into selling because you're approaching it in a brand new way that's altruistic and it's got a bit of purpose behind it. Here's an example. So yesterday... I was on a call with uh, Michael Ross, who's the chief operating officer, chief technology officer of Qantas. He's had ten meetings, I think, with us. Loves them, and he he, <laughs> he said to me, he feels bad turning them down because he, 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 he when when a request comes in to meet with him, sometimes he'll say no because he, it's his prerogative to say no because that's the whole point of this is for the execs to meet with who they want to meet with on their terms when they're ready. Um, and so he says he always feels bad because every he knows that every time he says yes and has one of the meetings, he feels uplifted. So he comes away from that meeting having learned something from the vendor because the vendor's shared stories and knowledge about what's happening in that industry with that, that particular technology. Um, and he comes away knowing that he can take that information and use it for a project or to motivate his staff or even to attract talent into the business because that's a problem that most of these execs have is how do I attract talent? So these meetings have become these amazing places for the execs to learn and, and and solve problems that they've currently got, but also to attract and retain talent in their in their own business, which is really remarkable. So we're, we're, we've built a platform for that, and we're, we're integrating a marketplace for the execs to actually communicate with each other because we know the execs go to those conferences to talk to each other, not to the vendors, they talk to each other. So we've, we're going to – all the execs that we've got, there's about a 1,000 I think we've got at the moment, they'll all come together on the platform and be able to talk to each other. So it might be Steve Jerkovich, who's the CEO of – Kiwi Bank, he might want to go and have a conversation with Andrew Matazak, who's the CTO of Commonwealth Superannuation, mm-hmm. and say, hey, what do you think about this? And they can communicate with each other. And so that's going to be a, a super bit of value that we'll deliver for the execs. Um, and it's just, it becomes this quiet place to meet rather than the noisy one. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, every, sing- every time they have a meeting, we we, we offset uh, the carbon. We, we, this is a something we've not spoken about yet, but we've, we've opened it up to, to carbon offsets as well. So we're doing not just charities. We've, I think we've given over a million bucks to Starlight, I think, already so far. But we've also started doing carbon offsets now. So for any executive that wants to come and get involved in our, in, in our, in our program, the first thing we do is offset um, their annual carbon footprint. So it might be 20 tons. We'll offset that on the blockchain and give them a certificate to prove it. Um, and then every time they have a meeting, if they want to... If they want to um, nominate carbon offsets, they can do that. And, and then every meeting will offset or retire up to, I think, 320 tons of carbon, which is quite enormous. So we're, we're going to be going into that phase. So it'll be um, a bit of an ESG side to the business, really, because it's it's all around the Sustainable Development Goals of the United Nations. There's about 17 of them. So in the next two years, to answer your question in a roundabout way, sorry, um, we'll we'll probably have every charity that supports those 17 goals and any company that's aligned with their 
corporate social responsibility agenda to those goals. They can bring their execs here, have, have those meetings, and they can go to support those goals, which goes to support their targets. Got it. Yeah, great. Yeah, nice. Um, and last one, Carlson, conscious of your time. Um, I want to give some advice to the community that are going to be listening. And this one, I think, will be quite an interesting one. How does an aspiring seller, non seller even, how do they become more authentic in their interactions or when they are selling? I know you're going to say don't sell, but how do they become more authentic in that in that conversation? I, look, I mean, I'm I've got no, um, but being honest and, and and vulnerable almost is is mm. a great way to build trust because it, it, you give a bit of me, I'll give you a bit of me, and you'll give me a bit of you. Mm. And that and that's just it. I think people are craving that now. People are chat GPT is great, but it's shit. It's like it's like it's like a robot. It's not authentic. Mm. It hasn't got a personality. Um, doesn't know my backstory. And, and when I tell people that, you know, what, what, I just put my dog down for Christmas. He was nineteen, and oh, no way. when I tell people the journey, when I tell people the journey of, of, of Meet Magic and how it all got started, there's so many stories of that make me look back and I'm, it brings a tear to my eye. I was walking walking the dog one day. The very first meeting that happened was a, a CIO called um, Yolam, Yolam, Yolam Van Dyke. He was a CIO, I think he still is, the CIO of Kathmandu, the retailer. And I called Johan. I said, Johan, um, I've got a client wants to have a conversation with you. The client, I think it's SkyFi, um, Wayne, 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 What's Wayne's surname? Uh, Wayne, Wayne's the CEO of that um, small company back then, but they wanted to go and have a conversation with with um, with that retailer about Wi-Fi analytics and all that sort of stuff. And I said, "Look, if you take the meeting, I'll give five hundred dollars to the charity." So he agreed, and the, the meeting the meeting happened. I I, I called Yolan. I said, "Hi, Yolan. Thanks for taking the meeting. What's the charity you're you're nominating?" And he said, "I I nominate the Himalayan Foundation." And so I called the Himalayan Foundation. And I said, look, we've got $500 here for you. What's it going to do? And they said, well, $500 will pay for three girls to go to school for the entire year, and it will pay for their books and their uniforms. And I'm like, shit, what? Now, meanwhile, I'm living in, in, in an apartment. I can barely pay the rent. I've got $500 left in the bank. That was it. There's 550 And there was something inside me that said, your integrity is so important here. Pay that $500. And I paid that five hundred dollars, and I got fifty bucks left in the bank. And as I as I was walking the dog up the hill, I just started crying, and it wasn't boohoo tears. It was just it was just tears streaming down my eyes. And I'm asking myself, why am I crying? Apart from the fact I was broke and and, and struggling, trying to get this thing off the ground, I felt like I'd done the right thing. The integrity was so strong mm. that it was almost like it was almost like a sign to say, keep going. This is the right thing to do. And I'll never forget that one moment as the starting point of it was those tears. That was the starting point of I'm not giving this thing up now. I don't care what it takes. I'm taking this thing all the way. And that was, that was what happened. So I think being vulnerable is, is so important today. And, and it's used that words used too much. It's like it's become, we're becoming immune to it. Um, and I don't mean you got to tell everybody your backstory and, you know, how you slept with, I don't know, with, with whoever. I think it's, it's about being vulnerable in the right areas and um, everyone's got a story and everyone, everyone, when you, when you tell that story, 
they listen. And I think you've just got to be um, brave enough to tell it. You know, it's it's not easy, but and it might be the opposite. It might be the fact that you've had a lot of privilege and and that, that might be, uh, you, you can still tell an authentic story around that. Mm. So I mm-hmm. think that, that for me is, whoever, whoever said it, was it, who was it? Bloody Grant Cardone, he said, be yourself, everyone else is taken. Yeah, I've heard that, yeah. <laughs> It's good. Yeah. So I think that's 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 pretty much that that's my one thing that I people say to me all the time, you are the same person as I see on on LinkedIn, the same person I see face to face, same person I see drunk, same person I see sober. Maybe not drunk. Um, Mm -hmm. but I'm the same person always. It's and that's that I think comes from just being who you are, being who I am officially. I'm not not trying to get anywhere, um, apart from getting this business off the ground and doing good, but um, yeah, I'm 53 now, so I'm kind of over all the all the ego stuff of cars and white picket fences. Doesn't mean anything. So I'm, I think my focus is a little bit different. Yeah, and you truly are authentic. Um, yeah, it's really refreshing, and it does not stick out like a sore thumb. That's you know, that's perhaps the wrong way, but <laughs> you are. Um, your authenticity does come through when when everything else is a little bit sterile and the same. Like you make quite a big bang, and obviously that's what um, you've done with Me Magic. So congratulations as well on on mm-hmm. the impact you've had, and um, that's only going to grow. And hopefully, some more people listening and seeing this will get involved as well. 